to DCS Talks, a podcast production of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. The intention of DCS Talks is to promote dialogue among child welfare professionals, foster parents, and the entire community about ways to prevent child abuse and neglect. Hi everyone, my name is Julie Rotella. I'm the Assistant Commissioner of Administration for Tennessee Department of Children's Services, and I'm here today with Carla Aaron, the Executive Director of the Office of Child and Safety, and we're here to talk about the CPS redesign. How are you doing today, Carla? I'm great, Julie. So glad that we're going to talk about this today. Yeah, this is really exciting stuff. So maybe we can start there. If you could describe the CPS redesign and how it was created. Oh, absolutely. Um, for several years, uh, we have, uh, in child safety, been looking at data and really wanting to create a more robust um, child protection system. So we had the opportunity under Commissioner Nichols to look at it and really come up with a new practice model that really did four basic things. Um, and, and these areas were you know, driven by data, they were driven by best practice, but they really um, focusing focuses on uh, emerging the CPS assessment teams with the CPS investigation teams, all under the Office of Child Safety. It also looks to enhance our multiple response system. Uh, we've had that uh, differential response system in place since 2009, but we saw a need to really create some specialty teams and offer some different approaches to some of our families over the past few years. So we were able to create some um, specialized teams. Then we were able to look at uh, a population, and, and this we, I really need to credit Commissioner Nichols for because she brought it um, to the forefront of one of her um, improvements that we needed to make is the response that we make to children eight years and younger when there's been physical abuse allegations. And looking at those um, uh, closer, particularly when they are uh, called into the hotline from school personnel, daycare personnel, medical personnel, and mental health. And uh, not only looking at those uh, children and those families more intensely, but more urgently. So actually, uh, we created a four-hour response time for that, that small category. Uh, and then the last piece of this is just the enhancement of our partnerships, particularly with our civic partners, with our law enforcement, uh, CAC, and our um, district attorney uh, professionals, and how we're able to um, you know, talk about that and um, uh, make some critical decisions based on um, you know, our investigation. And finally, the redesign um, was really done in collaboration, not just with the Office of Child Safety, but with child programs, and then with each regional um, leadership team as we go in and we start to implement it. We wanted to um, bring uh, the two programs together, look at data, look at staffing patterns, uh, look at practices, and really create, you know, a, like I said, a more robust system and make a smooth transition from uh, coming out of the regional supervision and under the office. Yeah, it sounds like really created a system that's going to be more responsive and um, more attuned to the safety of the child while ensuring services um, to the family. Absolutely. So along those lines, if you could describe the specialized teams and how they're prepared and trained, that would be well, again, when we sat down and uh, this practice model together, there were many different pieces over the years that, that different areas have talked about wanting to be able to do. So this is kind of a, a conglomeration of uh, several different initiatives. And so we, we created um, a few new teams, special teams, 
uh, drug team. Now, both have been going in the east side of the state for a few years. Uh, they're working well. We've had some really good um, feedback and some good data from those. So we wanted to replicate the drug teams where they didn't already exist. Um, the SIPIT teams, now they exist in, in all of our um, areas, but we wanted to you know, do some further training and really strengthen that relationship with our SIPIT partners. So the SIPIT teams will remain um, as, as they are now, but only stronger and with some uh, enhanced training. Uh, we created what we call a triage team, and this particular team is um, tasked with going out on what we call our care cases. That's physical abuse, um, immediate response, P-A-I-R acronym. We had to have one, of course. Mm -hmm. And those are the kids who are eight years and younger that uh, physical abuse is suspected, and it's called in by one of those four professionals that I mentioned earlier, mental health, medical the school system or a daycare provider. And we wanted to be very responsive to those professionals that call in um, concerns about a family. And those are the ones that we're gonna have a four hour window to go out and respond to. So the triage team goes out and um, responds quickly within a four hour time frame. They bring it back, they discuss it with our civic partners, usually with law enforcement, possibly with the uh, district attorney. And then they make decisions on what further intervention is needed. Sometimes there's no need for any further intervention. Um, other times there is, you know, the need to do an investigation or to possibly transfer it to family support services because there's some um, services that could, could help that family and provide, you know, some support and ensure safety for that child. So the triage team is new. And then we were uh, able to create what we call the rapid response team. And we were able to implement that in two of our regions but we're uh, going to put that on hold for a minute just because it, it was resource intensive and we're um, having to really limit our staffing resources at this point. Uh, that rapid response team actually goes out on um, non-severe abuse in that, uh, CPS cases. And they have a small window within five to 10 days. They're seeing the child, seeing the home environment, talking to the parents. They're doing that initial safety assessment. And then at the end of five days, they're making a decision, does this need further intervention? And we can um, transition it to another team, or again, can we quickly close the case and go on to see? So the specialty teams also provide us the opportunity to get in quickly, make an assessment, a global assessment, obviously, mm -hmm. and identify any service needs or decide that this family doesn't need anything from public child welfare, close the case, and we can move on to families that really could um, benefit from the intervention of CPS. Um, again, these are you know, special teams that we also uh, provide um, specialized training for these teams. And I left a very um, uh, important group out, and that's what we're calling our Family Protection and Preservation Team. FPP, you know, another acronym for us. But those are the teams that um, get the non-severe abuse cases, similar to what the assessment teams are doing now. Uh, they have 90 days to work with the family. They may get cases from, directly from the rapid response or the triage teams. Um, they're probably not going to get anything from CIVIC. They're not going to get anything from their drug teams. But these, again, are the non-severe, where they're working closely with families, identifying services, and, and connecting families to the resources and monitoring that for a, a period of time. So, um, I, you know, again, that's, that's just a general overview. We 
um, craft these teams uh, with input from the region and certainly looking at data to determine how many people we need on each team based on the type of allegations that we've um, analyzed over about a two-year time. That's great. They really are, sound like, highly skilled teams and really ensuring that every piece of the process is not only covered, but um, really special attention and detail to it that with the old system may not have been able to happen. Uh, I know you touched on some specialized training. Is there anything else that happens to prepare staff for these new roles? It, it does. We, um, during the implementation uh, in each region, there's a timeline that's laid out. And so once the teams have been um, compiled and we know what team each case manager and team leader um, will be assigned to, then we come in and provide some very specialized trainings uh, around for the drug team. Now, um, some areas, like in the east side, they already have existing drug teams, but we go back and do refresher courses. Or if we have new members of the drug team, uh, we provide you know, some very intense uh, training with that. We bring in community resources. We bring in our partners from law enforcement, the substance abuse community, um, you know, anything that provides some context to that specialty for the drug team. Um, we're also doing kind of a refresher course, and this is for everyone in the region, on global assessment. Every one of these teams is required to do, you know, those assessments at different times and being able to tailor that to your specialty, but, the, you know, just the general principle of and the value of doing a global assessment on each family. Um, service provision, looking at, you know, the, the service delivery that's available in each area and familiarizing you know, staff with um, resources that are out there. If they're not familiar with service, we, we talk a lot about that. Um, so, you know, there are just uh, several uh, day, I think about three days of just some overall CPS training and, you know, just looking at good investigative skills, good assessment skills, uh, good service delivery, and pulling that together to, you know, further enhance and support these teams. Yeah, that's great. I love to hear that about the global assessment because we know how key that is in really um, identifying and providing services to our children and families. So I'm sure a lot of our staff out there want to know, how are staff selected for each team? Well, we were very strategic in how we smiled. We wanted staff to have input into that. So when we uh, go to a region and talk about the particular implementation, you know, like I mentioned, we have there's a timeline, we do a kickoff. And really the kickoff is just general information. We talk about team structure within that region. We talk about, um, you know, the specialized training. We go into the different special teams and what their expectations are. And then we ask our staff, you know, to think about where their skill set best fits and aligns with this new practice model. We also have a skills assessment that we provide to them. It's um, really, it's just kind of a guided uh, tool that they can use to ask certain questions and really help somebody kind of hone in on where maybe their skill sets are best fitted, best suited, where they have a passion for, you know, working with a particular population or, you know, type of situation. Um, we don't ask for that skills assessment. That's really just an individual tool that they can use, but we, we encourage them to take it. And then we have what we call conversations. And if a case manager and a team leader want to have an individual discussion, we provide um, and it's usually two or three people from OCS or child programs uh, on a team. And, you know, they can ask questions. They can ask, um, you know, if anything, any clarification if they didn't understand something. And we can explore with them individually where 
you know, we think and they think their skill sets lie. And then at the end of that, um, we come together as a management team and begin to build our team. And the exciting part, we brought this out in Shelby and Upper Cumberland, 85, 86% of all the staff that participated in these conversations got their first or second choice wow, of teams. Right. So we're being very respective of where they think um, they would be best suited. And, and, you know, we have some folks that said, I'll do anything. I like yeah. it all, which was great. And we appreciate that. But we have some that were very um, specific about what they would like to do and try or continue with. So... Um, you know, we feel a lot of value in the buy-in uh, of the staff and um, where they think they can be successful. And we really think this is going to lead to staff retention. We right. think if they're satisfied with what they're doing, they feel supported, they feel well-trained um, and knowledgeable about their their specialty and their subject matter, matter experts in that area, then, you know, they'll be happy in their jobs. So that's kind of one of the byproducts that we're going to be measuring as we go through this process. That's great. I love the use of um, tools, resources, and relationships to really make the best decisions. So um, during the rollout, I think there were several questions asked by staff, and let's just run through some of those because they're probably weighing on other people's minds as well, right? Okay. Um, so are there still caseload caps, and what are the cases? So by statute, we have caseload um, averaging 20 uh, cases, uh, an average case manager. So we have to stay under that. Um, the caseload distribution or the new cases assigned per month vary somewhat by team. And we've also found it's going to vary somewhat by region just because of the geography and the nature of uh, the work with the families and the intensity. So um, our SIPIT teams and our uh, family protection and preservation teams, they're going to average 8 to 12 referrals a month. Uh, in some rural areas, such as Upper Cumberland, we had to combine uh, case managers that did both SIPIT referrals and triages. So uh, in combination with that, they may carry, you know, closer to 12 referrals because the triage are going to move through the system faster. You're not going to keep them the full 60 days. So they're able to take a few more um, cases like that. The drug teams, Really, that's probably the biggest impact on this. We try to stay between five and six new referrals a month for those. Knowing the intensity and how many home visits, how many um, uh, contacts with resources and the family members, and there may be court activities that are involved. So we try to reduce those somewhat. Uh, and in the rural areas, we know the geography also plays um, a lot of, uh, puts a lot of time into that. So we try to accommodate for that as best we could. Now, understanding that we're not getting, you know, our, we're going to have to work with the staff and resources that we have. Mm -hmm. So right now, we don't have new staff to supplement this. If we did, then the caseloads might look somewhat different, but we're mm -hmm. having to manage this with the existing resources that we have. And we're constantly, as an agency, though, going through that right-sizing process. So in the future, there, there may be that opportunity right, to supplement some of these teams. Absolutely. And child programs um, has worked closely with us on that very issue, being able to leverage and utilize as many uh, case management staff, team leaders, and even some of our upper-level supervisor positions were able to uh, maneuver and repurpose, and, and that's a partnership with child programs, and it's it's been very successful. That's great. We also know if we put more focus and emphasis on the front end and prevention, 
that that will hopefully lead to a decrease in number of children in custody. So it it benefits the entire system overall. Ab- absolutely, and, and that that was one of the um, uh, uh, outcomes we were looking for as we created this model is to lay the foundation for the work that we're doing in the Families First mm-hmm. um, uh, Preservation Act. And so this aligns very well with some of the work that that we'll be seeing and sharing as we get further into um, you know coming into compliance. Most definitely. Um, so I know you already said that 86% of staff get their first choice. What if um, the team, uh, what if someone doesn't get the team that they want or they have to change to a new school? What happens? Well, and that has come in from several of our conversations. You know, there's anxiety about that. And, and we recognize that. You, you have your favorite supervisor or you have supervisors that you don't necessarily want to be on their team. And so in those conversations, that was a, a great opportunity to share some of that information. Um, we tried to be respectful of that. It did not always happen that way mm-hmm. for you know a variety of reasons. But you know, if you are completely unhappy, we absolutely are trying to be very transparent and offer a platform to talk through that. Um, you know, there's you're not locked into that team forever and ever and ever. There may be opportunities to change, um, to go to other teams. Sometimes it's as simple as geography. This is where we need more people, and and that's not the county that you're living in. So, um, you know, those all come into place, but we're trying to be very respectful and um, make that a smooth transition if you have to change your supervisor. If you're able to stay with you, you know, the supervisor you want, great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but it is something that we're trying to get input from frontline staff mm-hmm. and then work with them through whatever changes are coming. Because we know that it could lead to, you know, an impact with how you handle your cases and how you work with you. So we want you to feel supported and um, have a good relationship with, with your supervisor and above. Right. And I know that was one of the questions of how do staff have input into their regional redesign and rollout. I think you really already covered it, though, um, that you, you all really take the time and attention to hear their voice and to hear what they have to say and to allow them, um, you know, because as you said, there's differences between metro areas rural areas, multi-regional, uh, multi-county regions. Um, so really hearing from them how, how this redesign may impact um, their region and their delivery service. But anything else that you want to add to that? Well, we also are, uh, once the teams are, are compiled together, we have what, what we call work groups and they're to work on regional protocols. You know, we recognize that each region has their own nuances and has the need to have some variability within their protocols, such as on-call mm-hmm. You know, we decided you don't need somebody from Central Office telling you right. how you're going to work on-call right. coverage. That needs to come through your local workers. Mm-hmm. Um, transitioning a case from CPS to family school, that's another opportunity to have some regional protocols. So, you know, there's two or three work groups that will be developed we may facilitate that discussion or provide some guidance into that, but it really um, is up to the regional representatives on that work group to come up with a protocol that meets everyone's needs. And this can include child programs and um, uh, CPS because it obviously impacts the entire region. And, you know, again, we're trying to be very respectful and, you know, create an environment where we can discuss things that are 
working well now and we want to keep in a protocol, but there may be things that need to be further reviewed or revised. And this is a great opportunity to look at that and, and provide some suggestions for those revisions. That's great. Really taking that agile approach and uh, allowing that uh, adaption and adaptation, I guess, and flexibility into the rollout. So how do staff and community partners know about this redesign? Well, uh, and I briefly mentioned we'll do a kickoff within the region. So, you know, all regional staff were invited to that. In, in Shelby County, we were able to do it in person, and we had um, two days where all the staff came in. CPS staff came. If uh, program areas other than CPS were also invited and included if they wanted to hear about this. Um, and then when we went to Upper Cumberland, um, we were in the middle of a pandemic. So <laughs> our kickoff was virtual, which uh, was a little different, but the information still was shared. Uh, when we went to the East region, we did a hybrid. We had some people there, uh, very limited uh, people in the audience, all social distanced and wearing masks. And then we also gave a virtual um, option for our staff too. So we've been very nimble and flexible yeah. <laughs> about um, you know, providing the opportunity to share information, but keeping our staff safe and healthy. Uh, so after the kickoff, then there are the conversations, opportunity to get information out. Uh, each region has an FAQ page uh, on the intranet. So you can go in, you can actually see what happened in Shelby, what happened in Upper Cumberland, what happened in East, uh, that's up there. So there's a lot of documents and information on there uh, that you can kind of see how it's progressed and changed. There's a little different flavor for each each area. Uh, for the East design, redesign, we took four regions at once and rolled them out. So that's been exciting, challenging, exhausting <laughs> for some of our staff, but um, it, it made sense to do it that way because they already have some things in place to uh, make it make it move smoother. And then our community partners, we are very intentional about talking to our school personnel and, you know, medical and mental health professionals. Again, you know, when they call in something uh, related to an eight-year-old child or younger around physical abuse, we're going to respond quicker. And so we're having those conversations with those um, uh, professionals. Our CIPIT partners are very involved in this. We want them to understand the redesign and what it means to our SIP and our severe abuse cases and how they can um, help us strengthen those relationships. Uh, our community partners in the substance abuse realm, we're talking to them. Our hospitals, we spend a lot of time talking to us and working with them to make sure that um, we have good relationships for our drug treatment. So those are just a few examples. Oh, I cannot forget juvenile court. Oh, right. We're very um, uh, involved with sharing this with our juvenile courts sharing team compositions with juvenile courts so they can understand who's going to be on what team mm -hmm. and what to expect out of, of those uh, these changes in this redesign. And I will say, by far, we've had very positive uh, feedback from all of our community partners. They're excited. They want this change to happen. They like the merging of CPSA and CPSI and are very, very supportive of it. That's great. I think that speaks highly of the communication plan that you laid out and also those relationships that you all have built over. So how does this redesign impact FSS and resources? Great question. And this is one that, that always comes up. Uh, for now, FSS and um, resource linkage remain under the regional supervision under child protection. So they're very much involved in this because obviously our CPR workers Transition cases to FSS, they rely on resource linkage. 
um, to provide them, you know, resources and, and, and support that they need CPS, but they are not coming under the Office of Child Safety at this point. Um, they're a strong partnership that we have to, to uh, develop or to continue, but uh, it is not a part of the redesign as in terms of the CPS. But it speaks to that collaboration again between the two program areas. Absolutely. So we know everyone has different strengths and skills. What if I don't want to be in CPS? Well, uh, we've had a few people that just, uh, for various reasons, did not want CPS with this redesign. You know, we again, we didn't get any additional staffing resources. So what we have to do is partner with our child programs, um, uh, regional leadership, and see if there are vacant positions and they could move into. So an example would be if you're in CPS uh, as an assessment worker and you really don't want to remain there, if there's an open uh, foster care uh, position or an open JJ position, then we can help facilitate that discussion to, you know, talk to the regional leadership about uh, transitioning. It's not a given that that will happen, right. but it's definitely options that we can explore. Uh, and conversely, if you're in foster care, or another program area and you really like this and you really want to come be a part of uh, the CPS redesign, if there is a vacant position, we obviously would you know, entertain um, that person and would have those conversations. We just have to do it in the realm of these are the resources we have and you know, being totally transparent, trying to determine the best place for the people with their skill sets. Now that's awesome. And really thinking about the workers' needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. So finally, listeners probably want to know, what is the timeline for implementation? Well, um, we went live in Shelby January of this year, 2020. Uh, we plan about a three-month uh, rollout um, uh, time frame. So we actually went into Shelby County uh, August or September of last year. By the time you do your kickoff, your conversations, specialized training, and then there's a period of time where you have to transition cases because you know, people will be going to different teams and they need to finish out what they're working on and begin accepting new cases. And we don't want, you know, the, the, the paramount thing here is for this not to impact our families. We don't want our families to feel um, like this transition period is is negative in any way. So the, the I can't emphasize how important that transition piece is. So anyway, the, the entire planning piece is about a three-month window. Uh, Shelby County went live January 2020. Upper Cumberland went live June 2020, right, right smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. Um, Grand East, which are the four regions, Northeast, uh, Smoky, East, and Knoxville. Uh, we're right now in the midst of the rollout, and we've uh, just finished conversations. Actually, we're doing them this week. We're going to do our team composition and do a reveal uh, event next week of the different teams, and then they'll begin, begin training, uh, transitioning uh, uh, into the new teams, and they should go live, I believe it's January 4th, 2021. Yeah. And then um, we're also beginning the prep work on Northwest and South. We anticipate them going live early next year. Um, we said the first quarter, we think um, it may you know, be early on into the first quarter of next year, so... Um, we don't quite have a date for that. Um, and similarly with Davidson and Southson, we're moving quickly um, to do some prep work on those. Let's say prep work, we have to look at staffing allocation, we look at the data and, and what teams uh, would look like and how, you know, what else is going on in that region? What other 
things might impact um, our time frame. And then finally, Tennessee Valley and Mid-Cumberland will be our last two areas. And uh, we don't have a definite time for that. We've committed they will all be rolled out by the uh, end of June 2021. So I don't know that it will take quite that long, but we've given ourselves opportunity if we commit, you know, come into barriers or, you know, things happen that slow us down. That's loosely the time frame. Well, it is really so exciting and just, um, you know, to think of the tremendous positive impact that this will have to our system. So I know how busy you are. That's your chime telling you probably <laughs> got somewhere else to be. Um, I just really want to thank you for coming today and sharing this important information. And I think um, will help others to really understand what this process will look like and what it means. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to hear about this. And I would encourage anybody to go to the internet. And I think it's on the, the first page. Uh, that prompts you to go to the uh, CPS redesign, but I know it's under the child safety uh, section, and then you can see what's going on, and we keep that updated with FAQs and a lot of information about the rollout. That's a great resource. Awesome. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Julie.